0: Welcome to this Monday, August 13th, here on Novak Now. Uh, This show has already started out on a live good footing because I actually heard my intro music this time. I heard it in its entirety. There's someone smiling with a very big smile in Israel right now over that, so we've made some huge progress. Uh, This is Novak Now, again, for this Monday, August 13th, here in New York. I'm Jake Novak, your host. Uh, You know, we call it Novak Now because it's live. It's live. Why not do a live show? Why not? This is not uh, scripted radio the- theater a la the 1930s or 1940s. And there's a lot more stuff we can jam in when we have a live program as far as getting the things that are happening right now. Uh, just to get a quick look at what's going on right now. First of all, always check my Twitter feed, at Jake Jake NY, at Jake Jake NY. Feel free to follow me. Uh, I always put in a lot of information every single day, a lot of stuff that you'll eventually be hearing on the program or a little bit hints for it, that kind of thing. Uh, Every morning, I put out a morning business briefing. Now, for those of you who are finance and math phobic, do not worry. This is very consumer friendly. This is not necessarily for hedge fund managers and top finance people. In fact, they, they love it too, by the way. I have a lot of followers who are those kinds of guys and gals. But they, uh, but it is really, really catered to anyone, anyone who can understand even the smallest idea of, a, of, of making a buck or saving a buck or what goes on in an economy, that kind of thing. And uh, every morning I come out with that, well, five days a week. Uh, That's what's good about covering markets. For those of you who are religious young men and women who want to get into journalism, consider financial journalism first because it is weekend Shabbat friendly. Uh, For all the boys out there who are listening and maybe some of the girls who really want to get into sports journalism who are religious, I have bad news for you. It is almost all Shabbat and Yom Tov unfriendly. Uh, You learn that lesson very early on when you sort of do the math in your head. However, so if you want to do journalism, however, financial news is your friend. Uh, But anyway, I do it five days a week, Monday through Friday. And this morning, for example, I had a story that might be of wider interest. uh, Again, not necessarily just a financial story, but also Israel story, also a terror and defense story. Uh, Checkpoint Software, which is one of the best, if not the best, cybersecurity firms in the world. And of course, it comes out of Israel, is issuing an international warning to all businesses, governments, and private folks who have a fax machine. How many of you still have a fax machine? I know some of you do because it seems like every time there's a really important form, like a form that makes sure that you get paid for something or something else like that, you still have to fax it, which is just, I find maddening. Um, But a lot of companies and certainly the government still, a lot of governments still use fax machines and Checkpoint software is saying that fax machines are a huge open back door for hackers. Now, don't ask me to explain all the science for it. Uh, That's something for Checkpoint Software's report and that you can find. in Again, if you go to my Twitter feed, you can find the the tweet this morning at around 8.30 in the morning. Sometimes I tweet it out earlier than that. Usually my morning business update comes out anywhere between 7 and 8.30 in the morning. I like to get it done much earlier, but my schedule's changed lately, so it's been much more of an 8 to 8.30 thing lately. But it's still well before the market opens, so that's good. Um, So that's just one thing that you'll see um, on my Twitter feed every day. So please follow it at Jake Jake NY or just look up Jake Novak. There's a couple of Jake Novak's on Twitter, but I'm the only one that will make any sense uh, with all the tweets about the news and finances and Israel and Jewish stuff and non-Jewish stuff, that kind of thing. Um, So that's one thing I I urge you all to check out. Um, A story coming out of just the general region of Israel uh, in the last few days, of course, has been the story about Turkey, and I just want to briefly talk about it, you've heard a lot about it in some of the general news, if you haven't, it's just a case of Turkey's already been having all kinds of economic problems, they don't really have a diversified economy anyway, and they are sort of getting caught between a lot of different things going on in the economy, but their stupid politics is really what's put them over the edge. have Erdogan, who's been, unfortunately, basically the dictator, but sort of a democratically elected president, he's sort of a quasi-situation there in Turkey. And he's been, unfortunately, the leader of Israel for quite, uh, the leader of Turkey for quite some time right now. And you know, his entire platform has been to bring Turkey away from a, secular, a little bit more of a secular country, of course, compared to most other Muslim countries. And his, his push has been to push it further away from that, push it further away from Israel, make Israel and Jews more of a scapegoat, and make the United States more of an enemy, He's a really problematic guy because, honestly, I don't know what else he offers the country. You know, some of these other fascist types or dictator types or, or Islamist types offer something else, I, I guess. I, I, or, or maybe they don't, but he certainly hasn't. And he's gotten his country into a huge pickle lately because after he survived a coup attempt two years ago, it was the summer of 2016, he was briefly out of power. They got ri- they tried to get rid of him. And by they. It's really kind of questionable who the they is. It may have been some Turkish generals. Well, he, of course, decided to scapegoat the United States over this, even though there's no proof the United States had anything to do with it. Remember, this is the United States under Barack Obama in the summer of 2016. It's hard to believe that there would be that kind of a coup uh, that that Barack Obama would support against a guy like Erdogan simply for being somewhat Islamist. I mean, he was much more supportive, Barack Obama was, of much more Islamist folks, including Mohamed Morsi in Egypt. So honestly, that doesn't really add up for a lot of reasons. So one of the things that Erdogan did when he got back into power after that brief brief ousting was to scapegoat this kind of schmendrick of a guy who is an American-born Christian pastor in Ankara. And there are not a lot of Christians in Turkey. There are some. There used to be a lot more. This is par for the course in Islamist countries, uh, where the Christian populations have dwindled and dwindled and dwindled. And yet Christian Arabs and Christian uh, people from Arab lands or, or Muslim lands continue for the most part to be anti-israel which is really a, a hair pulling out type situation i don't have much hair left folks you can see my pictures on twitter and facebook uh honestly it's uh it, it frustrates me to no end i'm not asking them to join in some kind of call the arms or join the israeli army don't don't get me wrong but it's amazing how many of them are still anti-semitic and anti-israel despite the fact that it's the muslims in their countries who are driving them out this is true in gaza this is true in turkey this is true in a lot of countries anyway American-born Christian pastor who for years has had a little uh, – there's no other word to say it, but it's a shtievel. He's got a little shtievel in Ankara, a Christian shtievel, that is mostly frequented by tourists. But he's sort of known. He's the American-born Christian pastor there. Good for him. He, he, he's trying to missionize and proselytize in a very Muslim country. Well, they decided to make a scapegoat of this poor guy because he doesn't do anything other than that. And they put him in prison. They f- did finally release him from prison recently, but he's still under house arrest and basically can't do anything. He is under—he's basically still imprisoned. And the United States now has imposed added sanctions. President Trump on Friday adding to the sanctions against Turkey, doubling their tariffs against them uh, until this guy is completely freed. And you know, and and Erdogan isn't freeing. Why isn't he freeing him? I mean, it seems like a, a no-brainer. What does this guy really mean for Erdogan? The reason is that again, like I said just before. Erdogan has nothing to offer the Turkish people other than radical Islamism and the scapegoating of Christians, Jews, and the United States and Israel. That's all he's got to offer. Other than that, he has nothing. Nothing. So if he gives up on this American pastor and and, and capitulates there, then he's got nothing else to say. Then the Islamists in his country will say, well, you let us down. He won't have anything really to offer anymore. So Ghazinter hates to Tayyip Erdogan, as his country collapses around his ears, the man's a moron, because it's one thing to be a hateful person, but sometimes hateful people are pretty darn smart for, for a good long period of time. But he's a dope, and he's hurting his country. And uh, that's a big story in the markets right now. The markets were sell, sold off pretty sharply on Friday. Today, last check, they're actually up a bit, the U.S. markets, because the world—actually, we're mixed now. Now we're mixed. Again, it's Novak Now here on the Nolkham Steel Network, and we are and we are live, Um. But anyway, uh, the fact is is that uh, the markets are a little mixed on this because Europe is worried about having to maybe bail out Turkey. You know, Turkey doesn't use the euro. Turkey is on the lira, and the lira is down forty five percent this year. I mean, imagine if your buying power of your dollar just in the eight months or so of this year were down forty five percent. That would be a very alarming event. So it's very alarming in Turkey. But there are a lot of, you know, Turkey is kind of part of Europe and the European Union is worried about Turkey. And then there's other countries worried about Turkey. So that's kind of a drag on the markets right now. So that's what's going on right now. Just again, as we look in live here at about 11, 10 Eastern time here in New York on Novak Now, um, just give you an idea of what's going on. And again, the kinds of things that you will find on my Twitter feed every day. I do do on my Twitter feed quite a bit of the kinds of topics that we're about to get into here on the Novak Now program, on this half-hour program every week. But I also do a lot of breaking news, not just financial stuff, political stuff. So please follow the Twitter feed, at Jake Jake NY. What I want to talk about today, and this is something that, again, I teased it on my Twitter feed, for those, so for those of you who are following it, know what I'm about to talk about. I asked a question. How When was the last time you saw a, a, a television show or a movie where religious Jews or religious Christians were depicted in a positive light? Now, I don't mean just hey, they weren't the villains in the story or the big jerks in the story. I mean, not made fun of, not marginalized, not considered a sort of a punchline. Now, go ahead and think, because you're going to have to think for a long time. I had to think for a long time before I, I finally came up with one. And it was a movie that was, I think, 25 years old, more than 25 years old now. Um, and that movie was a movie written uh, coincidentally by someone who I become a good friend, uh, good friends with. And that was a, a guy a guy named Robert Avreck, who lives out in Los Angeles, uh, a, uh, originally from, from, uh, from Brooklyn, who uh, wrote a book, that movie, A Stranger Among Us, if you remember that movie, where an undercover police officer, played by Melanie Griffith, goes into a Hasidic community, not Lubavitch, not Satmar, you know, sort of a made-up Hasidic community for the sake of the film, to help find a killer. And in that movie, by no means are the Hasidic Jews in that community depicted as perfect people, <laughs> not even close. But they are depicted, but their religious practice, the, their study, their, their, their efforts to live a more righteous life are not only depicted well, but the secular Melanie Griffith, who is not Jewish in the movie, and she's not Jewish in real life either, uh, starts to see just by watching the way this community acts, starts to see what's sort of missing in her life, that the relationships she's been having that don't really have any kind of purpose to them aren't fulfilling for her. Uh, She kind of learns the word bashert in the movie about how she's really looking for that. And, you know, it's a nice movie and it has a lot of uh, has some suspense in it, too. It's not boring. It's a good movie. Um, But it's what is it, 25, 26 years old? I don't know. I I don't remember exactly the year it came out. I I know it was early 90s. Um, And honestly, since then, I'm grateful for the films that I see where religious Jews and Christians aren't depicted, again, as the out and out villains. That's thankfully not as common. It's common, but it's not super common. But most of the time, it's a punchline. Or if there aren't religious Jews in the show or or Christians in the show, things that religious Jews and, and Christians do in that, you know, I'm not talking about their habits. I'm talking about their practices are a punchline. And, you know, what set this off for me is, you know, an example of yet another show that I'm watching recently. And I have to say right up front, it's a good show. I mean, if these were terrible programs that I was talking about, bad movies, bad shows every single time, some of them are. But if they were bad every single time, then I wouldn't waste my time on it. But some of these programs are very good. Some of these movies are very good in general. And yet they fall into this trap of making religious practice into some kind of a very hackneyed punchline. And I'll get to the hackneyed part in a second. So the show that I'm, I'm re-watching lately because I saw it re, uh, you know, when it first was released and then and now my older daughter my, wants to watch it, so I'm sort of re-watching it with her and my wife. It's a show on uh, Amazon called, on the Amazon Prime, and it's called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And it's a good program. Again, well-written, a lot of funny stuff in it. It is set in the late 1950s. The rough plot is that a Upper West Side wife with two young kids, basically gets into the stand-up comedy business. It's sort of historical fiction because there are some real historical characters who float in and out of the show, most notably Lenny Bruce, who, of course, was making his name in the stand-up circuit at that time. And it's a good show. I want to say it's a good show. This is not some sour grapes, oh, I'm going to give it a bad review because it hurt my feelings on a couple of the scenes. I'm not doing that. But everybody pretty much involved in the show, the main characters, are all Jews. And, of course, none of them are observant. There's a... But... Every aspect of religious Jewish life or cultural, really cultural Jewish life is a punchline. It's all a joke. They go to synagogue once a year on high holidays. Ha ha ha. Isn't that funny? That is the oldest joke in the book. It's, it, it doesn't seem to get old, however, for, for folks in Hollywood. It gets really annoying to me, not because I'm offended by people only who go to synagogue once a year. I, I really am not. I wish that Jews would come more often because, honestly, if you're only coming to synagogue during, one, once or twice a year for the high holidays, for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you've chosen the two worst days, Honestly, in my my opinion, even the best shuls do not put their best foot forward on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The, The prayers to me, and this is my own editorial comment here, are way too long in the cantorial style, which I think in the 16th and 17th century must have been the bomb. Hey, no recorded music back then, no microphones, an operatic cantor who could sing. That must have been really awesome 300 years ago. But now we're... I don't need to be mesmerized by a, by you know an alto or a tenor on on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It doesn't it doesn't inspire me. Okay, I would much. What we do have is this fantastic gift on Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah of fantastic engrossing Torah and Torah portions. And if someone told me the other, you know, hey, we're going to go a little bit faster with the davening and spend a lot of time discussing every single aliyah and very important verses in the Torah and the Torah reading, I, you know, where do I sign up? I mean, you, you tell me, what, what's the Torah reading on, on Yom Kippur or, or Rosh Hashanah that's boring, where it doesn't have hours worth of conversation in it? Uh, you know, bring up every rabbi or learned person in your synagogue, male or female, to discuss every little bit of it for, over the course of the same amount of time that you spend, and I'm there. I'm there. And it would absolutely inspire more repentance in my heart. Now, I know that's not for everyone. I'm sure you'll still have plenty of choices to hear a cantor drone on for six hours, but that's just not my choice. So, again, I am not. Why am I saying this? Because I am not holding it against anyone who wants to make a joke in their private lives or, you know, with their friends about how they don't like going on on high holidays or they only go on high holidays. But how many times do we have to see a television show where those kinds of Jews are depicted? It's really it's enough's enough. I I really I'm not loving it. And again, not because I'm offended, but because it's old. It's an old joke. How many of you have elderly relatives or not so elderly relatives who tell the same joke over and over again? I got a lot of people like that in my family, by the way. They've been telling me the same joke for 30 years. It's come to the point where it's no longer just annoying. It's offensive. It's an insult. It's like, boy, you really don't think you need to actually say something new to me? So these shows continue to do this. The joke about Jews going out for non-kosher food. Isn't that hilarious? It's so funny. Jews go. Did you know that Jewish people? Often go out for non-Kosher Chinese food. Isn't that hilarious? It's a seventy-year-old joke. Please, enough. End that joke for me right now. I just, I've, I've had it. It's just silly. Okay. Now, where, where does this come from? Now, some of this comes from the Civil War stuff that I was talking about in the last episode of Novak Now. And by the way, you can go on the Nachum Siegel Network and see and listen to every one of the archived Novak Now programs. Last week's program was all about what I call the Civil War in America, which thankfully is not. A standing army versus a standing army yet. Hopefully we'll never get there. But we are in a cultural civil war in this country. And let's not not, uh, kid ourselves. And one aspect of that civil war is a war against religious people. Religious people are certainly on one side of this cultural civil war, the red side, the conservative side, the Republican side, whatever you want to call it. I don't think any one of those titles are really fully accurate. So I throw them all in there in the kitchen sink. But some of it is coming from there. Some of it is coming from that, you know, Hollywood, for the most part, is on the left side of the Civil War. The religious people are on the right, the, the right side. So there's a little bit of that going on. But honestly, especially in some of these more well-written programs, I don't think that is the key aspect here. Again, every once in a while, you will see what I think is a point where, where certain Jewish people or non-Jewish people cross the line into attacking religious life. And I can tell from there that they're not just making a joke. They're they're really trying to launch an attack. So there's a little bit of that. But most of it comes from, I think, just a combination of a little bit of nervous, a little bit of nerves you're putting on a television show or a movie where there's a lot of Jewish characters. Everyone in Hollywood is told, even though you know so many Jewish people in Hollywood, especially in senior positions, are told, don't make it too Jewish. It's too Jewish. Can't be Jewish. You know, how many times in the show Seinfeld, which was such a Jewish show, did they use the word Jewish like three times? I don't know. You know, let's pretend to hide it. You know, oh, hi. Hiding an open, you know, hiding the open secret, like movies like Avalon, fantastic movie by uh, Barry Levinson. I don't think the word Jew is ever mentioned, even though this is obviously a Jewish family, obviously Jewish immigrants to this country. The Jewish immigrant story in Baltimore, which is, you know, at that time is, was, a, you know, a major, major port of entry for, for Jewish immigrants. But the word Jew isn't in there. And in the whole story about, you know, the whole running joke in that movie about cutting the turkey on Thanksgiving, it was, they were starting a Seder. It wasn't Thanksgiving. It's was just so obvious that was the family story. I mean, really, I don't know who they're trying to kid. I, I guess they're trying to kid a bunch of, you know, waspy folks who don't know, any, you know anything about religion. But honestly, things like that get annoying. But I don't think that that is like, oh, I want to I blow up synagogues or I want to hurt Jews. I don't really think that that's where it's coming from. I think it's coming from this nervous sort of feeling like, well, I am gonna go out on a limb here, put out a television show where it's all Jewish characters, where there's a lot of Jewish content, culturally, culturally. So to make sure that people don't think I'm being too Jewy, I will make fun of religious Jewish practice. And that way, I will sort of, all the accounts will be square. Again, pathetic. It is, it is sort of self-defeating in my opinion. And most importantly, it's an old joke. Would you put out this, would you hand into, uh, you know, in a Hollywood pitch meeting or in pilot season, a script of I Love Lucy from 60 years ago? Of course you wouldn't. So why, why, why are you continuing to put in at the same old jokes about, oh, I only go to synagogue on, on the high holidays. We're going to go out and have some pork at the Chinese restaurant. ha! Oh, it's the same old joke. It's not funny anymore, guys. It just isn't. I know that might be your experience. I know you might, you might think it's sort of funny, but let's be honest. Why are you really putting that joke in there? You're putting that joke in there because you are afraid. Someone will say that guy's too Jewish. Oh, 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 he's too Jewish. That would be so bad. Do black actors doing shows like Insecure or you name the, you know, the black African-American themed shows and some of them are very good too. Are they ashamed to be black? Do they have scenes where they come out in whiteface just so that there isn't too much black in the show? I mean, come on, it's enough. It's enough already. And you're embarrassing yourselves not only with the fact that you have a, you know, a real self, you know, self-esteem problem, but you're embarrassing yourself with the same hacky jokes. Enough. Find something else to make fun of. And if you don't want to put religious Jews or religious practice in a, in a decent light, show it for something beautiful, show it for something that it's nice. Again, not always. You think I'm saying here that all religious Jews are great people? That's not what I'm saying. That's a stupid thing to say. All people of any category are not all good or bad. But there's some really nice things about Jewish practice. Shabbat meals don't have to be a punchline. They can be fun. They can be really, really nice. Prayer in a synagogue can be nice. Hearing uh, the words of a rabbi who actually has his or her finger on something very interesting is also very nice. No, no, but that's that's just never in your purview. It's never in your purview. So you're willing to steal from your, or, or cull from your culture to get a few laughs about certain situations, but you're not willing to show it in a good light. It, it just, it puts you in a bad light, all right? And again, I think most of it is about embarrassment. And one of the best examples, I think, that proves that it's really about embarrassment is the way that converts in a couple of the shows I've watched are depicted, converts to Judaism. So I mentioned the show The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. There's a character in one of the episodes who's a sister-in-law, of the main character, who is a convert, a Protestant white woman who marries the main character's brother. And she's really into it. She's into Jewish life. She's into Jewish practice. She likes to visit Israel a lot. They say she's been to Israel, and this just happened in 1958, she's been to Israel nine times. Visiting Israel nine times in the 1950s must have been a real tircha, you know, a real issue. It, was not a great, it wasn't as great a place to visit back then. Okay? So she's really, she's really into it. And that's another way of sort of showing how embarrassed we are. We're sort of embarrassed by the fact that there are people who are more devout than we are. We're embarrassed by that. So we bring in a ridiculous character like that, like this convert. Um, in the show sex in the city, one of the main characters ends up converting to Judaism so she can marry the Jewish lawyer that she marries. And she ends up being also more into it. They're out for dinner and he orders the pork line, pork line, famous episode in sex in the city. And she's angry at him because she's like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm making all these sacrifices. I'm making these changes to be, to convert to Judaism. And it doesn't matter to you. And she's got a good point. I, I was grateful for that scene, but I think it was also a way of sort of making fun of her and making fun of Jews who who might find these things more important than others. So this is part of an embarrassment factor. It's part of a, oh, well, I don't want to be too Jewish kind of thing. But again, if, that, if all that does is manifest your content into a hacky, hacky joke that's been going on in Hollywood for 60, 70, 80 years, and enough, you're not talented. You're just sort of a little bit, bit psychotic, a little neurotic, and you need to move on. Go ahead and do your show, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's great. It would lose nothing if you if you took out the old hacky jokes about Jews and holidays and Jews eating non kosher food and doing all the other stuff like that. It really wouldn't. Or, or inviting the rabbi over and having non kosher. None of that would still would, would would hurt your show. Okay, move on. Have some have some guts. Now, why is this such a personal thing for me? You can hear you can hear the emotion in my voice. You know, this weekend we had the first anniversary of. our, of a a manufactured event from a year ago, this white supremacist march in Charlottesville, which was absolutely manufactured, took weeks of work to get a few hundred white supremacists last year to go to Charlottesville. It turned violent. One of them ended up backing his car into some protester, uh, anti-white nationalist protester and killed her. Horrible event. I I did an entire program about this and the whole Charlottesville thing, where I talked about the real shame of Charlottesville was the fact that there was one small Jewish congregation in Charlottesville that refused to protect itself in this day and age. And that's the real shame. And that's the real embarrassment. But also, look, 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 it, was, it, it was a manufactured event. And of course, now we're, we're finding out more and more evidence that one of the leaders of the Charlottesville event last year may have been a Democrat. He certainly was not ashamed to say that he voted for Barack Obama twice. Suddenly, he became a white nationalist. I mean, it seemed like what, what they call a false flag operation, where somebody is trying to make the opponents look bad, and they create a very embarrassing protest or sign or something like that within that group. I'm not saying that's what it is, because I'm not denying the fact that there are white nationalists in America. But you know what? There's not a lot of them. And we found that out this week with the one-year anniversary of Charlottesville, where I think about 30 white nationalists showed up to the, I mean, ridiculous number, where tens of thousands of uh, anti-white nationalist protesters showed up. Seems like it was generally, generally nonviolent this time. But apparently on Friday night, radical left-wing protesters attacked members of the media, including NBC News. And that wasn't reported, including by the NBC News, because they have their narrative. And that goes back to my, again, last week's show. That's the Civil War aspect. If you're fighting a Civil War, even when people on your side do embarrassing and horrible things, you never, never report it, or you underplay it. So that, that's part of the Civil War argument. But that story has always touched a nerve for me, because I lived in the South during some of my very formative years as a child and a preteen. I was born in Oklahoma City. Lived in Norfolk, Virginia for, you know, kind of the beginning of my junior high years. And I can tell you that the anti Semitism that I experienced in the South came 100%, 100% from other Jews. I kid you not. And for those of you who have lived there and are somewhat traditional or proud Jews, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And I feel like where it's relatively harmless, or it's just sort of like a Chinese water torture. When I see it in Hollywood and I see it on a TV show, jokes about religious Jews or observant Jews, that's somewhat harmless given in, you know, in isolated inc- incidents. It's more annoying than anything else. Although I do think that over time it does cause harm. But when you have your fellow Jews attacking you for being more overly Jewish, for example, the prep school that my sister and I went to had sit-down meals. So we had to arrange to get kosher food. Who gave me a hard time about it? Who made fun of me every time I had the peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Was it the evangelical Christians in the school? No, there weren't that many of them anyway, but they were into it. Were it the WASPy kids in the school? No, they couldn't care less about me. It was the other Jews. They made fun of me because I was making them nervous. They were trying to fit in. They, wanted to, their parents, they and their parents wanted to be in the country club. They didn't want to be too Jewish. They wanted to make fun of a, a heritage that they didn't understand, and by the way, that's a big part of it. I mean, a lot of the people writing Hollywood shows right now went to Harvard and Yale. That's the big thing the last 30, 40 years in Hollywood. It's become a real Ivy League kind of factory. Ivy League schools have become a placement firm for some of these folks. They might be real smart, but they don't know jack about their Jewish heritage. They don't know jack about Jewish learning. They couldn't open up a Mishnah or a door and read it and understand it. There are some who could. Not many. Not many. Okay? So it's... They're, they don't know what they're talking about, they're embarrassed by that, they're trying to fit in, and so they try to take it out on other Jews. It's kind of like, a, like a, a version of the Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is, you know, there's a lot of different versions of that. Stockholm Syndrome is most widely defined as people who are taken hostage in a bank robbery, that kind of thing, and then they sort of identify with their captors. They sort of start feeling sympathy or a connection to the captors. But there's a second part of the Stockholm Syndrome that's not talked about as much. You read the whole report the whole study about it. Also, the captors start to turn on one another. They look at each other and say, oh, well, if you hadn't been wearing that nice dress, they wouldn't have come and robbed this bank. You, you, you lured them in here, you evil capitalist. I mean, does that sound familiar? When Jews are blaming each other for things? If you weren't so religious, if you were wearing that, wearing that beard or that yarmulke, the, the anti-Semites wouldn't come kill us, which is stupid on its face, ludicrous on its face. But it's part of a delusion. It's part of a mental problem. Folks, listen. Like I said at the top of the show here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, I like a lot of these programs in general. I think in general, most of them are good. But when they resort to making fun of Jewish practice, when they resort to making fun of Jewish hypocrisies about how most Jews don't follow certain rules, by the way, that's going to change because within 20 or 30 years, most Jews in America who are really are Jewish are going to be religious. We'll talk about that in another program. But when they do that, it's a sign of real self-defeatism. And most importantly, it's a sign of hack, hackiness. They don't have an original idea. They're going to an old joke, and it's pathetic. Let's find some way to depict religious life, both for Jews and Christians, in a more positive way, not to be corny or, or, or boring, but just to be a little bit more honest with ourselves and with our audiences. This is Jake Novak. I hope to speak to you again next week.